Hello, and welcome to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and today I'm excited. Why? I'm excited to present a recent interview with one of the all-time greats to play at the University of Hawaii, Anthony Carter, AC, who just went all the way to the NBA Finals in the Orlando bubble as an assistant coach with the Miami Heat. You might have recognized him on the Heat bench, even through his mask, as the upstart fifth seed took on the powerhouse LA Lakers, including fellow UH alumnus Phil Handy, his player development counterpart. While Handy, LeBron, and the Lakers took home the title in six games, it was an indelible experience for Carter, a man whose life journey was worthy of a movie script a long time ago. Forget his 13-year NBA career as a scrappy, gritty, undrafted guard. By the time he made his way to the islands in 1996 and memorably paired with Alika Smith to form the dynamic duo, UH's future career record holder in assist average and WAC Pacific Division Player of the Year had already beaten the odds. He was a high school dropout who hustled for cash on the hard scrabble basketball courts of Atlanta as neighborhood drug dealers wagered on the outcome of his games. His family was scattered, some in jail, but he got noticed, got a second chance, thanks to the timely intervention of a handful of people who looked out for him, got his GED and made it to junior college. The rest is history, or history in the making. He transitioned into coaching, first in the NBA Development League, then to the Sacramento Kings, back to what's now the G League with the Sioux Falls Skyforce, the Heat affiliate, and in 2018 was promoted to a full NBA assistant for player development. Now he answers to head coach Eric Spolstra and above him team president Pat Riley, two institutions of the game who believe in AC as part of the Heat culture, as it's pretty well known now. The same culture he first experienced when he got into the league in 2000. To top it off, he's just a really nice guy, which at one part of this interview... I'm sure you'll notice as he walked around New Hampshire while visiting his son. So quick housekeeping, one quick correction from last week's podcast with Chris McMillan. The talented UH frontcourt of Vander Joachim, Christian Stanhardinger, and Isaac Fotu played together in 2012-13, UH's first year in the Big West. I'd conflated that group with the year before, which was UH's last year in the WAC, with Joachim, Justin Thomas, and Davis Rositas, which was another pretty strong front line. So, my mistake. But now, let's talk to AC Carter. And here we go. Exciting news. The Court Sense podcast has a sponsor. Amazing. Check out Mike and Kara at Nokooi Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842-6453 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email nokaoiauto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense podcast for a 10% discount. All right, today on the Court Sense podcast, it is... A uh, definite honor of mine to be joined by one of the all-time greats at the University of Hawaii, a guy who spent 12-plus years in the NBA, longest NBA career for any University of Hawaii alumnus, Anthony Carter. Welcome to the Court Sense Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be on. Well, Anthony, uh, it's been, I want to say, a little more than a week uh, since since the NBA Finals and the Orlando bubble concluded. You and your Miami Heat brethren, you are a assistant coach for player development with the Heat, got all the way to the finals as the number five seed in the Eastern Conference, turned a lot of heads along the way, 
got within two games of an NBA championship, falling to the Los Angeles Lakers in six. What's uh, the last week been for you, AC, since uh, since you got out of the bubble? Um, just a little bit of downtime for a couple of days, and then I had to get right on a flight. We had left the bubble on that Monday. Then I got on a flight Friday to come see my son out in um, New Hampshire at uh, Brewster Academy. But um, it was a great run for us, you know, inside the bubble. A lot of people wasn't expecting us to last that long, but um, as long as you have a great coaching staff and great mindset before you go into the bubble, you know, I think that played a part of it. And um, Spo and the guys and, um, you know, all the players, everybody did a, did a great job of staying focused and uh, trying, to, trying to take care of the task that was at hand. But like you said, we came up two games short. AC, what was – I guess throughout that run that you guys went on, it, it seemed to me at least like you guys were a totally different team from, I guess, that period of time before the season was paused uh, ahead of the pandemic. You know, the season was shut down for several months and then everything after that was in the bubble. Uh, it seemed like you, I mean, you guys added some, some players back uh, guys like Tyler hero and Duncan Robinson stepped to the forefront. Uh, would, would you say that, I mean, you guys, were, were a different team in some sense from, from before that? Oh, yeah. Um, just like you said, we had, you know, made a midseason trade um, acquisition. And we got Jay Crowder. We got Andre Iguodala. And then uh, that right gave Tyler a chance to get healthy and Myers Leonard to get healthy, you know, when the stoppage happened. And so I thought that right was a big advantage, a big step to our advantage to get some of those guys back that was injured. And, uh, you know, we had made a, made a good run, you know, playing every other day. And then you got filmed the next day and practice. And, you know, your body didn't really get a chance to heal. But I think all, all the young players stepped up. And, you know, we had a great mixture of veteran guys and young guys. And uh, those guys just show what, what the Miami Heat culture is all about. AC, I got to ask you about game five of the finals specifically. That was just an uh -huh. incredible game. What was it like for you to be right there for it? I mean, see, seeing Jimmy Butler – throw everyone on his back and go head-to-head -head with LeBron like that? I mean, that's the type of player that, that he is, you know. He, he listened to all the people saying that he's not a superstar. But, you know, you don't have to be a 40-point-per-game 40, 40 scorer to be a superstar. And he does everything on both ends of the court. You know, he want to guard the best matchups, whoever's supposed to be the best. He want to guard the best. He's not running from nobody. And um, I just think being a part of that, shows everybody what type of player that he is. And I was happy to experience it, you know, firsthand of him carrying the whole team on his back, you know, with Bam being out and Goran. And then, you know, we had other pieces that helped him. But, you know, he, he had a triple-double, and that was just great to see, you know. It really seemed like, AC, I mean, you guys were a team that was, you know, the whole was greater than the sum of its parts, to borrow that cliche for a moment. I mean, the contributions you guys got from – up and down the roster. Uh, I guess after that game five, was it, you know, two days later, another elimination game after everything you guys poured into that, you know, heartfelt, like thrilling game, was it tough to, to turn around that quickly and, you know, fight them off one more time? Oh, yeah, it, it, it was tough. You know, like I said, you know, we had a bunch of young guys who've never been in that situation and they have a team full of veterans with one of the best players on, with two of the best players on the planet. And, uh, you know, it was just hard to match how, um, how much energy and um, intensity that they came up with. You know, we, we didn't expect that, you know, as, as a unit, I, I don't think. And, uh, 
you know, they kind of took us out of our some of our comfort zones. But, uh, you know, it was a quick turnaround. And then when you shorthanded playing seven, eight guys, and then Bam is, you know, I don't know how many percent he was. He, he was out there trying to gut it out. And then Goran tried to come back and play. You know, we only could do what we, we, we could do in that situation. And, uh, you know, it was a good experience. Sure. Uh, well, AC, I mean, the bubble itself was such a, like a once in a lifetime setting and, um, hopefully, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully. you were there for months, man. Like what, what was it like just going about your day to day, you know, off days, game days, back and forth and doing, doing your job, but also just trying to, you know, live life there for a few months. I mean, yeah, we, we was there for 95 days. And uh, the first seven days, we had to stay in our room in quarantine. And uh, right before we got to the bubble, we was getting tested every other day for a couple of weeks. And then uh, once we got to the bubble, we had to get tested every day. If you didn't get tested every day, you had to stay in your room until you um, got tested the uh, next day. And uh, just just being there, you know, it was tough at the beginning, you know, just getting the box lunches and stuff set outside your doors and it wasn't what you was expecting and you know we had to make that um, adjustment and that sacrifice but then once we um got got let out of the bubble well not out of the bubble just out of the room you know they had like a little pond out there well lake where you can go out there and go fishing i think everybody was oh, yeah. catching the same fish <laughs> and then uh you know they had a bus that would take teams or players to the bowling alley it was only for us and um they had golfing and um None of that stuff wasn't for me. And uh, during our, you know, we had night sessions where we would have the gym for two hours. So we would take guys back and get up shots and uh, work on defensive stuff if they wanted to. But um, our day was kind of full. You know, we ate three, uh, three times a day. We can eat as many snacks as we wanted a day. You know, chips, drinks, um, sodas, juice, whatever we wanted. So once we got out, you know, it was, it was decent. You know, we had a couple of restaurants that we can order from and go and sit in. And, uh, you know, you basically was there with 22 teams and you had to see all the players. Everybody was walking past each other at the games. And uh, it was just weird, you know, after you don't beat somebody and talking trash. And now you got to go walk by them and, you know, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, sure. AC, maybe, you know, you could, you could elaborate or um... – Explain a little bit. I mean, I know your your title is like development coach for the Heat, and I think they elevated you from – you were previously an assistant coach with the Sioux Falls Sky Force, right, since 2016. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think 2018 you, you got that that promotion. Um, was your role previously like – were you going back and forth between Sioux Falls, South Dakota to like, you know, keep an eye on some of the, your up-and-coming guys? I mean, even guys like Duncan Robinson, who like famously now spent a lot of time in Sioux Falls – growing his game before he was ready for that big time setting. Um, so what was life like for you prior to the bubble? Um, I was, uh, like you said, I was uh, one assistant coach with the Sioux Falls Sky Forces for uh, two years. And then I would go back and forth just to uh, take Dion. Dion Waiters there just to go uh, try to get back on the court, you know, and practice with those guys sometimes. But then like my first year with the Heat, I didn't travel, so I was doing a lot of player development um, with the guys, and then I was doing scouting reports uh, and everything else that all the other assistant coaches was doing, but I wasn't traveling. And then this past season, uh, well, this year, 
you know, Spro told me that he wanted me to travel this year. And so all of us basically still doing the same thing, player development, um, scouting reports, uh, checklists. And, uh, you know, we don't have just certain guys that we work with. Like one day I might work with Bam and Myers Leonard. Then I work with the guards, like the point guards. Then I might work with, you know, Jimmy Butler and Andre Iguodala. So everybody was hands-on and all of us were speaking the same language. And uh, we would be meeting every morning and say, AC, I want you to work on this with such and such and such. And this is what he need to work on today. And then Spo would say, Quinny, I need for you to work on such and such and such with this person. So all of us knew what we was coming into. And uh, we, we was one of those coaching staff that had each other back. And we wouldn't leave the gym until all the players was gone. Even if we was done with our guys, you know, that we had um, after practice or before practice, all the coaches would stay there and just um, help, help help the other coaches. So, you know, we had a tight, tight, uh, the experience was, was great and the transition was kind of easy and uh, I'm still working to get better at uh, the computer stuff. <laughs> I think we all are, especially right now. Um, uh, going back real quick to something you said about, you know, just seeing other players and staffs that you guys are playing against, AC. I mean, notably on the Lakers staff was Phil Handy, a player development coach you know, that also played at University of Hawaii was a couple of years ahead of you in Manoa. Um, so I know you weren't his teammate there, but did you ever get a chance to talk to him or what was that like seeing him across the sideline? Uh, me and him wasn't teammates, but uh, we um, was always speaking before we started playing against each other. And so, you know, once you in that war battle, you know, you don't want to start talking to him and be all friendly. So I never spoke to him until after the series was over. And uh, before that, we was talking about him. He got an opportunity or got asked from somebody in Hawaii to come and do like a camp or something, an appearance or something. And uh, he asked me to co go with him because somebody wanted me and him to come back. And uh, so I gave him my number and he said he was going to uh, let me know the details and everything and when they are trying to put it together. But um, it was just good to see him you know, over there on the sideline coming from Hawaii and uh, the great years that he had at Hawaii and I did. It was just good to see two alumni going at it head to head and uh, he came out on top this time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was definitely <laughs> a close fought battle, man. Um, AC, I want to see if you could uh, take me back maybe to write your post-Hawaii playing days, um, that time period when you were trying to, you know, latch on as a professional basketball player. Uh, be, you were an undrafted free agent, so you, you took the hard path to get into the league. Uh, maybe you could just tell people what that was like. You know, I, I know you played one year in between in like the Continental Basketball Association uh, before you made it to, onto the Heat as an undrafted player. Um, yeah, just in retrospect, I mean, how how tough was a journey was that for you to to crack into the league that way? Well, to to go back a little bit further, you know, I'm from Atlanta. You know, a lot of people out there in Hawaii don't don't know because um, I was over there before they was old enough to realize I was there. You know, I was a high school dropout, and um, I stopped going to school in the ninth grade. I was playing on the streets for money for three years, and then um, I played in this adult basketball league, and this guy named Andre Craig seen me play. I was playing against him, and I had like 40-something points on him, and then he was like, uh, what school do you go to? I was like, I'm not in school. And then uh, he was like, you know, if you want to go to school, I'll, I'll call this uh, coach that I know that that I went to school at. 
and he called Coach Bromo, Bill Bromo, out at uh, Saddleback Community College, and um, he flew me out. You know, well, he told me to go back and get my GED, and then uh, they would fly me out to come and uh, see if I could make the team. You know, I did that, went out there, led the state in scoring two years in a row, averaging 31 a game, and then 29 my second year. And then that's when uh, Jackson Wheeler came out and, uh, you know, recruited me, saw me play. You know, we had some great meetings. And, uh, you know, uh, Hawaii was one of my recruiting trips. And uh, when I got there, they had a, a volleyball game, and they was the number one team in the nation at the time. And um, I just saw how wild the fans was getting and how the fans was cheering. And I was like, this is the place for me. So I ended up signing with Hawaii and, um, you know, played two years there. And they was telling me that uh, the only way I was going to make it to the NBA if I uh, learned how to be a point guard because I was a scorer. Mm -hmm. So I had to make the transition of learning how to get the guys set up for their shots and running the offense and things like that. And then my senior year, you know, um, a guy went up onto me in practice and I dislocated my shoulder. So I kept playing. Uh, it popped out twice during the senior, I mean, during the season, my senior year. And then uh, I kept playing and then uh, I had to have surgery right after that. But um, I was trying to wait. So I had to go to uh, 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 the NBA combine and try to put my name on the map in the first play of the, of the uh, live drill. I dislocated my shoulder. So, mm. That was a setback. So finally I said, I'm just going to go ahead and have surgery. Then I had surgery, got well. Then I had to go play in the CBA. And then, uh, so I did that. I was the number two draft pick for the CBA at the time. And uh, I did that for a year. I got called up by Detroit Pistons. And um, one of the assistant coaches, he was like, uh, such and such, get get AC out. He, he ain't going to be playing anyway. So when I heard him say that, I was like, y'all called me up here to, you know, if I can make it, but I hear you say I'm not going to make it, and I'm out here trying to get a job. So I told the head coach, I was like, just send me back to the uh, CBA, and I'll work my way back up. And then uh, they had did that. Then the following summer, um, I got a call from the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, we had won the championship out in uh, Las Vegas, the Vegas Championship Summer League. And then after that Summer League was over, uh, about two weeks later, I got called from the Miami Heat to come and play on a summer league team. Then we went out to Salt Lake City and won that championship. And then so Miami signed me to a one-year deal. And then the next year they signed me to a four-year deal and then went on from there. So I uh, ended up playing 13 years in the NBA. And uh, that's that's my journey. <laughs> uh, quite a journey it's been. Uh, you know, I, I read that actually, yeah, in one of those summer league games, or several of them, uh, Pat, Pat Riley, uh, you caught his eye, I guess, like with your heart or your grit or the way you were playing out there. And, uh, you know, Pat's been there with the heat. Like he's a legend, obviously forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, AC, like everyone talks now about heat culture. Like, was it, was it true back then, you know, or was it a different ver version of that or how has that endured over time? It's still the same. It's still the same. Heat culture is heat culture. It's family first. And uh, they can care less about the outside world. And uh, that's, that's what I love about the organization. Uh, my first four years, if I, if I didn't play for the Miami Heat my first four years, I wouldn't have lasted 13 years. Because the stuff that, that, they, that I learned from Pat and Spo and Stan Van Gandhi and Bob McAdoo and Keith Baskins and Lonzo and all those guys, 
like I wouldn't have lasted because all the stuff that I learned from them, I took to the next team. And that's how I got myself in shape and stayed ready and I always worked harder than everybody. And uh, I think I was away from the team for uh, 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. And when I got back on the coaching staff, it's, it's like I never left. And it's still family first. They still have the family festival and all of the same people that was there in the PR department, the media relations and, you know, the front office, everybody's still there. You know, they, they just don't hire outside people because the culture is the culture. And I, we got guys there that was like parking cars and washing cars when I was there as a player. And now they got offices upstairs that they doing different stuff now. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the heat culture is the heat culture and it's not for everybody. And, uh, you know, that's what we try to tell everybody. Either you want to be great or you want to be good or you just want to maintain. And the heat culture, you're going to be in the best shape. You're going to be the hardest working, the best condition, everything, the most professional. You know, all them words is not just on a T-shirt or on a billboard. That's every day. And what what they tell you up front, they're going to do it. There's no stabbing behind your back and telling you one thing and do another. The heat culture is the heat, heat culture, and that's why – Pat and Spo and the rest of the organization get so much respect from everybody. AC, do you, do you have, you know, since you oversee a lot of the player development now and, and were there with their G league team as even recently as a couple of years ago, do you have like a favorite uh, player development story? You know, a, a guy going from point A to point B uh, like a personal favorite story to you? Um, I got a lot, but one that sticks out to me is, uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn, you know, being from Chicago, going to Oakland and uh, taking the hard route. I think he's like 25 years old. And that's kind of when I came in, you know, as an undrafted guy and uh, had to work my way. And uh, the route that K-9 took, you know, he had to do the G League and uh, he um, ended up being the starter, you know, the same way I did. He ended up being the starter you know, his rookie year, and that, that says a lot. And then you got Duncan Robinson, you know, played out of D3, ended up going to Michigan, and people didn't think he was going to be where he's at. But it just goes to show hard work, dedication, and a good core coaching staffs and player development guys, you know, that stuff can go a long ways. Because Duncan couldn't come in playing defense. He didn't know how to take charges. And he was always a great shooter. So we just put him in a position where he can be successful and work on some of the little things where he can be better at and get him time time on the court. But I think those two are kind of like that sticks out in my mind right now with the players that we have on the team. But, you know, you got guys with a different background and like Bam, you know, coming from Kentucky and then getting thrown into the starters and things like that. But it was just a great experience working with those guys and being able to tell them some of the stories that I had growing up as far as like the route that I had to take the same as theirs. Well, on that subject, AC, it's been about eight years since you last played in the league. You know, only eight <laughs> years, I should say. I mean, 2012 uh, doesn't seem like that long ago in, in a lot of respects. But um, but the, it feels like the game has changed pretty dramatically even in those last handful of years as far as the, the way shooting and spacing are emphasized in the league. And, um, I mean, we, we, with, we saw it with the way you guys play and can just knock down shots in bunches. Um, how would you describe the way the game has evolved even since the time that you last suited up yourself? Uh, when I play, you know, you can hand check and uh, 
on defense, and uh, we were picking up full court. And then uh, on the offensive end, it was more of a post-up game because we had a lot of big men like Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewan, Keem Olajuwon, and those type of players where the ball had to go in the post first. And it wasn't a lot of shooting back then. But then, you know, Steph Curry and those guys came around, and now it's a fast-paced game. Everybody want to shoot threes, threes and layups and free throws. Those are the most things. So the game have changed where a lot of teams are not shooting mid-range. And uh, back when I played, we were trying to get to the mid-range or get all the way to the basket and wasn't shooting a lot of threes. But now everybody shooting threes, and these guys' range today is like from half court. And I'd be like, wow, like, <laughs> if if this was back in our days now, it would have been a whole different story. But you, you don't have a lot of teams that run in post-ups because guys don't like to play with their backs to the basket. So it's more like um, pick and pop and pistol action and flares and floppies and stuff like that. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, which sign? This one? The one with the yellow. Yeah, this is right there. Oh. oh no. They are currently sold out of the high-dose flu vaccine. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Hello. Sorry. <laughs> A man of the community right there. <laughs> Hell, man. Yeah, but the game have changed, and uh, it's just exciting to see some of the stuff that these guys can do, though. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I want to ask you – some stuff about, you know, your time in Hawaii. But before we move on from the NBA discussion, uh, do you have a favorite moment of your expansive NBA career, AC, from start to start to finish as a player? Um, I have a couple in mind, or at least that I looked up as may, this might uh, qualify, but I, I don't want to mention them before you. So go. does any moment stand out to you? Um, I would say my rookie year uh, when I got called up by the Detroit Pistons and they said I wasn't going to play, and then we ended up playing them in the playoffs, uh, best of three, and we swept them. So that was one of my best moments. And then probably the shot against the New York Knicks over the backboard. Yeah. You know, yeah. my uh, rookie year uh, in the playoffs. So that was uh, probably number two. And then uh, just staying, staying around 13 years and learning what I learned from being around those guys you know, is, is another memory that I would take with me. All right. Well, I found a, uh, from your time with the Denver Nuggets, I found a quote from Allen Iverson here that I want to, I want to read out real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He said, uh, Anthony Carter would guard somebody four foot 11 to six foot 11. Anthony plays with his heart. He might not be on the talent level with some guys in the league, but you would never be able to tell because he plays so much harder than everyone else. It means something to him. Oh, yeah, he, he's 100% on that. Like, that, that is, like, what I was all about. And I tell these guys to this day, I didn't care who it was. Anybody 6'8 and on under, they was going to have a problem. I said 6'9 six, 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 and taller, I might need a little help from the weak side, but they ain't finna back me down. They ain't finna just debo me. And I was telling these guys, as long as you got heart, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, I like that yeah. quote. Yeah, I liked it a lot too, actually. Uh, well, AC, you, you mentioned kind of the your your un, unconventional, unusual way of getting to the league, or, or even getting you know to to Hawaii. First off, junior college, then Hawaii. You mentioned, uh, I think after a year of high school ball, you dropped out. 
Um, I know you lived in a, in a pretty rough neighborhood. Your, your house was, I think, pretty, pretty packed, right? Full of family. Um, yep. a, n- a number of uncles were, were kind of in and out of jail at the time. Um, you know, can, can you just speak to growing up in that environment and, and um, the unusual path you took to get to where you are right now? Yep. Um, I'm a single. Um, I'm the only child. And uh, my mom and dad, they never was married, but my dad uh, left when I was five years old. So my grandmother had to raise me. And um, so she had seven boys and seven girls of her own living in a three bedroom house. And then on top of all her grandkids. So um, we would be sleeping on the floor. She had to wake us up one person at a time to put on our school clothes and uh, stand by the heater and uh, and uh, just try to do as best as she could. She had worked two jobs, and uh, she was one of those uh, those grandmothers that she wasn't going to let nobody go without a roof over their head or no food to eat. And uh, But she had did a great job as far as, like, raising us. Like I said, all my uncles, they was in and out of jail and, uh, and uh, in and out of prison. And uh, I could have did the same thing. You know, because that was uh, the environment that I was in. And then the kids that was growing up with me, some of them was in and out of jail for stealing and robbing and doing things that they shouldn't have did. But I chose to go to the Boys and Girls Club and uh, play basketball and play sports to kind of keep me away from that. And then some of the stories that my uncles would come home and tell us that was going on in the jail and prison, I was like, this is not for me. And so it kind of scared me away. And then, like, uh, most of them was on drugs and alcohol, and uh, so that was another thing. But uh, you know, just 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 my grandmother being there and you know took me in. That that meant a lot to me. Do you remember what it was like? I guess it, after you had dropped out of high school. I mean, you were, you were playing, uh, you know, on on the courts there, basically in in Atlanta, right, all around Atlanta. And um, you mentioned earlier, you kind of got you got seen eventually, right? Yeah, um, when I dropped out of high school, everybody was older than me. All my friends was older. So I was in the ninth. They was in, like, the 11th and 12th grade already. And then some of them had graduated. So as a freshman, I started varsity. And everywhere we went, I got picked first. So when I dropped out of school, me and four of my other friends, we just put our own team together. And uh, it was five of us. And we just started going to different neighborhoods playing different people for uh, money. So then the drug dealers in my neighborhood would go and put up money against the other drug dealers that they was getting their drugs from and selling to, uh, you know, they was putting money up like $3,000 a game. And uh, so we, we would be playing at the parks and, you know, the money that we would win, we would get the split five ways. And then the drug dealer that put his money up, get to keep his money. And they was just doing it really for bragging rights. And so we would do that. We was doing that for three years. And we only lost one game. Oh, wow. And that game probably took at least six, seven hours because you couldn't call no N1s. And if you were going to make a shot, you was going to get hit, knocked to the ground. And basically you was trying to score without playing, uh, without calling fouls. Mm-hmm. And um, by, by doing that, I think that right up made me tough and uh, got me to where I, where I am today. And um, – but that, that experience right there, you know, I wouldn't change it for nothing because it made me the man that I am today. But it was, it was a good experience for me. Well, you made your way out to Hawaii. And um, in retrospect now, I see, how, how do you sum up those two years of your life? Um, you know, the, 
what what it kind of maybe set up for you in the future and uh what you you know what you learned during that time you're out here um in in hawaii right oh there there that was great just the experience you know another culture and how all the um all the local people and all the Hawaiians and Samoans, you know, welcomed me there and how much love they showed me everywhere I went. They was giving me, uh, like, free uh, surfing lessons and I couldn't <laughs> walk nowhere without people asking for autographs. Uh, they would take, take uh, like, give me discounts on meals and stuff like that. And um, I was just trying to make all the local people proud. And um, it was my duty to come and put Hawaii on the map. And... Um, you know, I thought I thought we did a great job with um, with the team that we had and Coach Wallace and Coach Willer, Coach Nash, and um, you know, it, it was just a great experience. I wouldn't change it for nothing, and and I th only thought that it was right to uh, do the scholarship fund, the AC scholarship fund. You know, for some of the local kids there. You know, um, I got a letter from one of the local kids there who was uh, thanking me for uh, giving him the opportunity to uh, use my scholarship, and uh, so. It was just something to give back to them because all the Hawaiian people out there helped me get to where I am today, and I look forward to coming back out there and seeing everybody. Yeah, you set up that scholarship in, back in 2002, and, it, and it's still still going today. Pretty pretty incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, you guys did great things. You know, notable win. You guys beat Indiana, number two Kansas at the Stan Sheriff Center. Uh, how, how well do you kind of remember those moments from? I remember all. I remember all those moments, like playing against Nebraska. Uh, Indiana, Kansas, uh, New Mexico, UNLV. Like, I, I would never forget those moments. And like I said, if it wasn't for the fans and, you know, we was doing like the choo-choo train at the time. <laughs> Every time we would do something crazy, they would play, let me ride that train. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but just just those moments like that and those battles that, that we was in with uh, Chris Heron and um, – Dominique Young and Ray LaFrance, Paul Pierce, you know, A.J. Guyton, uh, Tyron Liu. Like, those moments I would never forget. And just the atmosphere. And um, I still have all my wooden trophies and, and things like that that I've kept for years. And um, But it was just fun pl playing over there with all the fans, though. I, I, could, I could never forget the fans and how much energy that they brought every night for us. And we try to do the same. And, you know, my partner in crime, you know, Batman is Robin, is mm -hmm. uh, Alika Smith. <laughs> he, I, I had him on a few weeks ago, and, and he talked about some of those same moments as well. He talked about, yeah, you guys dressing up as Batman and Robin coming out of the limo on, on <laughs> Midnight Madness night, uh, Midnight Ohana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned battling like Chris Heron. I mean, do, do you remember that? that? I guess it would have been the final game of your career against Fresno State at the Stan Sheriff Center to, for a spot in – in the NIT semifinals on the line, Madison Square Garden. Do, do, do you remember that, that final battle? Uh, Chris Heron came and spoke to us uh, this year in uh, training camp in, um, Hawaii, I mean, in uh, Florida. He came and uh, just uh, did a most motivational speak, speech and uh, talked about, you know, the way he had to deal with his stuff. And um, it was great, but uh, I forgot all about that last battle, though, to tell you the truth. <laughs> some uh deliver deliberate forgetfulness maybe on, on your part 
Um, well, Alika, Alika did mention that uh, he ran into you in Las Vegas kind of recently. Maybe it was within the last couple of years. Uh, your son, mm-hmm. I think, was playing there like an AAU tournament. His, his son maybe as well. Uh, and uh, he, like you, you kind of surprised him. Like you put a hand on his shoulder. You snuck up on him or something. And, um, and then you pointed out your son. Like it was the kid who just, I guess, scored a bunch of points on him. Or, is that basically the way it happened? Yep, yep. Um, I seen him, and uh, somebody told me that he was there, and so I snuck up on him. He was sitting in the stands, and um, I put a uh, put my hand on him and was like, "What you doing here?" And then he was like, "Hey, see, my brother." And then um, his son was playing at the time, and then um, he came and watched my son play. You know, I think we was playing like the next game, and uh, my son was killing, and his son was doing the same thing, and uh, we just started catching up, and then. Uh, we had exchange numbers and, you know, we were supposed to hang out in Vegas, but my schedule and his schedule didn't uh, hook up because we either had games and then I was trying to entertain my family at the time, you know, when uh, we was out there. So we didn't get a chance to hook up. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool. At least you guys got to catch up because uh, you guys will be, you know, linked pretty much forever uh, in the memories of people out here. So um, before AC, before I let you go, uh, one guy actually on the Hawaii note, uh, the only other guy to win a conference player of the year award at Hawaii besides yourself was Stefan Yankovic. And uh, he, he spent some time in the, the Sioux Falls Sky Force, the heat system. Uh, what was it like, I guess, seeing, seeing him? What do you remember from him passing through the, uh, your time over there? Um, it, was, it was short. It was short. He was, uh, he was injured most of the time, so it kind of kept him from the court. You know, everybody thought that he had the potential and the skill set to uh, make it to the league, but he couldn't stay on the court because he was always getting injured, you know, even if it was in drills or five-on-five or something, and uh, we couldn't get him on the court. And so, you know, a team is only going to keep you there for so long, and if you can't get on the court, and every time you get on the court, you know, they got to make another decision. But, you know, we thought that he had all the tools, and coaching them in the G League, um, it was a good experience. And, uh, you know, he, he had a chance, but it didn't work out for him. That's too bad. Um, well, AC, I'll just ask you before I let you go, like what's, uh, you know, what, what do you think's next for, for you and the Miami Heat outlook for this coming year, where, whenever it may start? I guess we're still waiting to find out when that's going to happen. And, um, yeah, how would you sum up, I guess, you know, your long journey from where you started to where you are right now? Uh, our main goal next year is to win a championship. You know, we got so close and, uh, you know, we probably had a piece or two here and there. But um, our main goal have always been to win a championship and not throw away a season because people think that we can't do nothing. But uh, we just look forward to, to the challenges ahead. And hopefully, like I said, it's not in a bubble. And um, all the memories that I took from growing up to JUCO to Hawaii to playing in the NBA for 13 years, I'm using every one of those tools that I learned over those years to uh, put into my coaching career. So the journey is still, you know, it's, it's still a long journey ahead of me. And uh, I'm trying to learn it each and every day. But the experience of uh, making it to the uh, NBA finals have been real because I never made it as a player. So it gave me, you know, a lot more to strive for in this upcoming season. Well, Anthony Carter has been a true pre- privilege to spend a little time with you. Uh, here, I guess you're over there in New Hampshire right now. So thanks, thanks yeah. so much for for making that time. You're welcome. Thanks, Brian.